For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Vikings, come out and Listen to the Believe in Vikings podcast with B-Mac and Baker. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Believe in Vikings. I am your host, Dustin Baker, and I'm here tonight with the usual crew, Brian McKinney, who's a Super Bowl champion from the Baltimore Ravens, Sally from Minneapolis, Ron from Eden Prairie, and then our special guest tonight is Jordan Reed from the Draft Network. Um, he knows all things NFL draft, players, prospects, all that good stuff, and he's a Vikings fan on top of it. So we're going to pick his brain tonight. Um, we'll have all sorts of stuff for him, and we'll also talk about kind of his uh, rise to prominence in the NFL world because uh, that's an excellent story. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about betonline.ag. Uh, BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to Bet on all sports action. Uh, right now, the uh, NBA is shaping up uh, to hit the playoffs soon, and the front runners in order to win the championship are the Brooklyn Nets, Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, and Utah Jazz. And that's the Nets being the favorite and the Jazz at that number four hole for uh, wagerers who expect to have an NBA team win the championship. Bet online has you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And uh, Nick is also joining us. Uh, she joined us about three months ago for the Jared uh, Allen episode. How are you, Nick? Oh, you know, it's living the dream. Excited to talk some uh, Vikings, some drafts, some scouting. So. Terrific. Well, thanks for coming back. Uh, it sounded like you enjoyed the Jared Allen episode that we had. It was a peak moment in my life. So. <laughs> awesome. All <laughs> right, Jordan. Well, this is your first time on our show. We appreciate you uh, coming on. How are you tonight, sir? I'm good. Appreciate you guys for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Oh, well, we appreciate it. We got uh, tons of stuff to ask tonight. We're going to go in round-robin format. Um, I'll lead us off, and then we'll go uh, Sally after that. Um, yes, and we have all questions. Some of them are about uh, you personally, some about your takes on the Vikings. So uh, just bear with us. Uh, the first thing I have for you tonight is uh, generally speaking, uh, where do you rank Rick Spielman's drafting acumen among other executives around the league? Uh, it's really good. And, you know, the draft is always interesting for the Vikings. It was a little bit different this year just because we didn't have any seventh round picks. Luckily, I know Rick likes to make people wait around all day long. Um, for him to make his selections, but it was, it's a draft day is always exciting with Rick Spielman because you don't really know what direction he's going to go. And this year was a little bit different. 
Uh, last year, we kind of knew they were looking for a replacement with Stefan Diggs, and we knew they needed some help in the secondary as well. But this year, it was a little bit different. There was a lot of different directions that they could go. They could go edge rusher. They could go offensive tackle. I think that was pretty much a given of where they could go. And, you know, he ended up trading back. Uh, I know a lot of people were kind of disappointed with that at the time just because it's kind of a – it's kind of an excruciating wait, especially when you're waiting around, if you have like a mid or a late first round pick. Um, so it gets a little bit brutal when you're waiting around a little bit. But I think it was pretty exciting, especially when you're considering what he got when he traded back from 14 to 23. So getting Darisaw there, I thought was fantastic value for him. And then you get a couple of third round picks in exchange for sliding back. I think it was nine spots as well. So it was pretty exciting for the most part. But the thing is, uh, I know I was in Cleveland and I didn't get to see all the Twitter stuff because for some reason there wasn't cell service at the draft, at least through Verizon. Um, But everybody knew he was going to trade back. And so it was all news to me when I got back to my hotel room that everybody was pissed uh, because everybody, I've been saying it ad nauseum that he's going to trade back. He even said that they're not married to the 14th spot. So I wasn't quite sure. I thought they would go edge rusher, but then I also didn't think Darisaw would tumble down the board. Uh, Do you foresee Weatherly? as the starting guy, or do you think there's uh, still time to switch that up? Yeah, I think he will be just because okay. he knows the system. He's been here as well. And, you know, they're kind of, they like to slow play rookies a little bit. We've seen that in years past and, you know, third round guys or fourth round guys, I don't see them trotting them out there day one, you know, Janarius Robinson or mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Weatherly, or he's going to be the starter with Patrick Jones, the second, I don't see him being the starter as well. I think they're going to kind of let Andre Patterson work his magic a little bit, let him develop those guys. And then, you know, Weatherly's only on a one-year deal. So maybe by year two, a Janarius or uh, Patrick Jones may be ready to step into that role. Okay. Fantastic. Sally, what do you got for your homie Jordan? Well, first I have to point out, I just am remembering this now that Nick was actually sitting next to me on the couch during the draft. And so she witnessed my full blown meltdown. Oh, you were one Um, of them, huh? (laughs) I was one of them, but we talked about this last week, not because I anticipated him trading back the whole time, but then for like three minutes, I let myself be convinced that Justin Fields was going to happen. That's right. So yeah, she witnessed my meltdown. And even though she loves Kirk, she did not chastise me or she, she just let me go through it. So <laughs> anyway, but um yeah, so obviously um I wanted us to have Jordan on the show tonight just because he is an expert on the draft and his draft acumen I think is like second to none, but I also think it's cool to point out that I kind of claim Jordan as one of us and by one of us I mean one of Vikings Twitter. Um, uh, one of our community. And I just think that's cool to point out because as um, often as we all get frustrated with the place, we all get down on it. It is cool to sometimes point out um, these success stories and the opportunities that we've all had um, because of it. So um, it's just been really fun to follow his career from afar. And now I can't even get in the damn car without hearing him on the FM radio station. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. And if maybe Jordan, if you can talk about that a little bit, just kind of how your career has grown and um, maybe some key moments um, that you that stand out for you. Yeah, so I'll go all the way back to my playing days. I played at a small school called North Carolina Central University. And BMAC, I don't know if you were uh, teammates with Devontae Edwards. Um, does that name ring a bell? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he actually coached at my alma mater for the past few years. So that's a, that's a oh, connection okay. that we share. I don't even know if you knew that. So, <laughs> yeah. Right, um, knows everybody. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a small <laughs> school. Uh, everybody's heard of Duke before. It's about five minutes away from Duke here in North Carolina. I still reside here in North Carolina, but played quarterback there from 2010 to 2013. Uh, didn't have any pro aspirations. Um, I didn't have a left tackle like B-Max, so I took a lot of hits during my playing <laughs> day. So I wanted to I wanted to walk by the time I was 30. So um, I got into coaching right away. I was a graduate assistant at my alma mater for two years, and then I transitioned into coaching for three more years, well, five more years after that. Um, that's where I fell in love with scouting. I was recruiting coordinator my pad my last two years there before we got let go in 2018. So, you know, won a couple championships there. Uh, was able to like really see putting all the puzzle pieces together of a championship team, sitting in living rooms with moms and dads, and seeing the different personalities of putting all these things together. It's really different, but I really enjoyed the process and everything. So I wanted to figure out a way I could combine my journalism background and then my football background as well. And I think that's something that I kind of offer a little bit different. I, I've been a coach before, I've been a scout before, and I've been a quarterback before. So just seeing the game from a different lens, I think that's a, a different angle that I think I bring to the game. Um, I freelanced as a Vikings writer for two years for, well, for one year for a website called Vikings Territory. I'm not even sure if that's still a website now or anything, but um, I freelanced there for a year. Um, I've always been a Vikings fan. Randy Moss was the guy that made me fall in love with the Vikings. Um, I stayed with the team even after he got traded to Oakland. So um, that's really how I fell in love with the game. Uh, everybody asked, well, how the hell are you a Vikings fan? You're from North Carolina. So Randy Moss was the guy that really I grew up during the height of the Randy Moss era. So he was the one that really made me fall in love with the game. Uh, so I just stayed with the team after that. But there was an upstart company called the Draft Network. Uh, the draft was always my background. And that up started in 2019, I believe it was. So June of 2019, I've been with the company since then. And it's funny, you know, you say Randy Moss, because I think all of us here, like, it's kind of the same thing. And when we had Randy Moss on a few weeks back, it was uh, brought up to him as well. So um, I'm sure he's happy to hear about the the wide reaching um, nature that he had on fans. So um, you kind of touched on a little bit of one my, my first question. So I'll kind of pivot a little bit, ask it a little bit differently. So with scouting and kind of, you know, like your aspirations in becoming a scout now, no one sees, no two people see the game the same way. So how you are viewing film and how you see something, you know, myself or Dustin, we're looking at it and we may see completely different, a different set of opinions based on the same film. How does that help you like either bouncing ideas off your coworkers or your colleagues and formulating your own opinion and being able to kind of go with that as like, this is what I think is really the, like, my my analysis and this is why I'm right how do you go about like formulating that with other guys doing the same thing well it's tough just because nobody's ever going to see two players the same or one player the same just because everybody has a different set of eyes everybody has different layers that they can feel back as far as how deep they can watch the game and I kind of always like comparing scouting to solving a math problem like there's different ways to do it there's different formulas to do it it's just a matter of which way you're most comfortable with doing so. And there's no right way or wrong way to actually do uh, the math problem. It's just as long as you come to the same conclusion. And, you know, everybody's not going to come to the same conclusion just because they see a player different, differently. Like um, coming into the league, I wasn't a huge Brian O'Neill fan. Like I'll tell you straight up, like I was not a Brian O'Neill fan. I hated the pick just because I thought he was so raw. I thought he was never going to develop. So I've always said you have to ha kind of have like a bird's eye view of a prospect and what I, I learned a lot from Brian O'Neill and, you know, with him, I failed to see like the long term view with him. I just valued everything in the short term. I said, man, this guy's not going to be good right away, but I just didn't think of uh, what he could be down the road. So there's no right way or wrong way to go about.
my scouting. It's just a matter of getting the doing so. So hopefully that answers your question. And then question. kind of like on Brian's perspective, this question is kind of for you as the player. So obviously you hear the talk, like probably nowadays with Twitter and everything, it's a lot more than back in your playing days, but all the talks out there from everyone analyzing every step of your, your game, whether it's something you said off the field or something you did, not whatever, a holding or whatever the case may be. What's it like as a player knowing that there's all these ex- so-called experts and I'm not using the quotes for you, Jordan, I'm talking about the, <laughs> you know, like if I were to write an article about something and I'm deemed an expert, like now everyone who has eyes and watches football can say whatever they want. And how does that make you feel as a player knowing like, how, or how do you take what they're saying versus what actually happening and kind of parlay that into your motivation? Um, sometimes you can't take what they're saying as, just because they see something doesn't mean that the play play might have been designed for something else. And it may look like you made a mistake and it wasn't really you. Cause that, I've seen that happen before where it looked like you were supposed to get somebody, but maybe a running back went out and around and that person came free, but off the edge. Um, so it, just, uh, it all kind of depends, but I mean, I use all type of things for motivation. Sometimes I may use something I heard. Sometimes I may just use the opponent I'm going against. Cause I feel like they're a great player. So it's never the same thing every week. You got to keep finding just different things to keep you going and play at a high level. So sometimes, like Ray Luz always told me, like, don't listen to the chatter, whether it's good or bad. You know what I mean? So I started taking that advice later on. But you use different things with motivation I did. And then also kind of like with what Jordan said about Brian, Brian O'Neill, kind of the perfect example where you were obviously touted as a first round pick and always were. Now, what are some things that say some teammates that you may have had that like where they might not have put out the film or put out something being like elite, but you see something like what are some of those traits like, say, for Brian, Brian O'Neill, that it's like he has this that you might not be able to see, but you as a teammate might be able to look at the guy next to you and be like, he he has a future in this league. Like, are there traits that you as players can see that analysts? Yeah, not? Um, some people, just because you weren't drafted high, I feel like some people kind of still develop like a little later on. And some, some of it comes on, comes based off the coaching they received too. So maybe they didn't have the best coaching in college to really get through to them, but then they got to the league and understand it or around teammates that helped them better understand. And now they're excelling. So it's different things. Um, that you can see potential of people like, yeah, the representative do good once he understands, you know, certain things. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it's timing. Some people max out by the time they get to college, and then when they get to the next level, they're not really as productive, and other people are still growing. All right, Nick, you're up. All right. So, a great man once said, always remember drafting an offensive lineman is the first in the first round is the equivalent of getting socks on Christmas day, not flashy or overly exciting, but you know, if they do their job, you'll appreciate their importance later on. And that great man was you, Jordan. Um, (laughs) I'm a pretty big Kirk Stan. Um, So I was really excited when we drafted Christian Derisaw um, with the 23rd pick. And I know he's a player you definitely had an eye on to go day one maybe day two. Um, but I was listening to a K-Fan interview with you. Um, I think it was last week, maybe, um, and found out you have more of a personal history with Derisaw um, from your North, um, your NC Central um, coaching days. So I was hoping you could kind of talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it seems like I have a, a bunch of ties to everybody that the Vikings uh, drafted this year. It just seems like I've been coaching forever, but I was only in coaching for five years. So uh, my first year as a recruiting coordinator, 
uh, I was responsible for Maryland and Christian Derisaw was actually in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, which is a small city up there, but there's a ton of talent in that area. So um, I actually was responsible for his high school. I didn't know anything about him when I was walking into the school. Uh, so the coach introduces me to him. Uh, he brings him up and he brings him out of the out of the classroom. And I just wanted to meet him. And I said, Coach, do you have anybody for me? He said, yeah, I have the 6'4", 260-pound kid who's not getting a lot of looks right now. Uh, so he brings Christian in and I see him and I'm like, I'm sold. I mean, I don't need to see anything else. <laughs> so um, Christian had one offer coming out of high school and I was the one coach that offered him coming out of high school at North Carolina Central. So that's the connection that we do have. But after that, he went to a military school named Fork Union in, in Virginia. And that's where he got all his offers. I mean, he blew up after that, Virginia Tech, uh, you name it. He got a whole bunch of offers after that. So I don't even know if he remembers that story. I'm, pro I pro I'm probably <laughs> sure he doesn't. But if I ever interact with him again, I'll make sure to remind him of that. So, yeah, that's kind of the history that we do. We get have, him on so. here. We'll make sure to bring it up to him. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, maybe yeah. so then my kind of follow up would be for both you, Jordan, and um, for you, BMAC. Um, so, like, what do you like? What characteristics make Christian Derrissaw so um, attractive to the Vikings? Like, what can he bring to the table to protect our QB1? I'll let BMAC go first. He's the, the expert. <laughs> Well, I mean, I feel like he's a, um, a good player overall, and he's good in both the run and the pass. So, I mean, they're looking at him to be better than who's already playing at the position now. And he's younger, and he still has the ability and um, potential to be even better, you know, in the next level and still learn. So, he has a great upside. Yeah, I mean, upside is the word that's going to be attached to him a lot. I mean, he started ever since he stepped foot on campus. I think he started like 35 career games when he was there, and I mean, we needed a left tackle. Everybody knows that with Riley Reef now gone, I don't think they wanted to move or mess with a good thing like Brian O'Neill since he's been playing so well at right tackle. And BMAC, you can attest to this. If they were to switch him from right to left, it, you never know what's going to happen with that since he's so it's comfortable. It's a big difference. Yeah, since he, he's so comfortable on that right side. So I don't think they wanted to mess with that. Um, well, we usually I don't mean, have a problem messing with uh, <laughs> the positioning. It's usually like, ah, we'll plug him in on this side, see how it works. But go it's ahead. It's like Madden, right? doesn't matter where they play. <laughs> right. You talked about that last week, how that's not a good thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I Christian's – to cut you off. Are you fine? Christian is very talented, um, very diverse in the passing game. Um, he, he, he's so fluid. I think that's the thing that really stands out about him. Uh, very fluid as a pass protector, very active feet. Um, you would like to see him finish plays a little bit better. I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons why he wasn't one of the first offensive tackles to come off of the board, but that's an easy fix with good coaching, in my opinion. So just finishing plays is something you would like to see him do a little bit more, but very strong at the point of attack. Um, I don't want to get too deep into football terminology, but he, he he's really good at what's called backside cutoffs. Like he's outstanding at doing that, creating those run lanes. Um, he's really fluid in, in a lot of sense. So yeah, he's a really good player. It's just a matter of him just playing through the echo of, a, echo of the whistle a little bit more. That's something you would like to see a little bit more from him. But as far as the talent, I mean, whenever they roll out in mini camps, he's going to be the the top, the guy at the top of the depth chart without question. Okay. All right, Jordan, uh, the website that you mentioned about uh, 10 minutes ago, Vikings territory that you thought might be extinct. That's the uh, that's the website that gave me my platform to write. So it's not nice. extinct. It's still uh, run by Joe Johnson and whatnot. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because I have a pretty firm grasp on how the timeline of the offseason went because you're always starved for something to write about. And the first little uh, seedling of news that we had back in January um, was that Clint Kubiak was going to take over the offense. He replaces his father. So I want to use your brain to answer this question. Um, what do you expect, if anything, uh, to be different about the Vikings offense with Kubiak in charge instead of his father? 
Nothing. I mean, I don't think much is going to change at all, especially with him being a successor. I mean, this is the guy he's been training under for all of his life. And, you know, we've seen this plenty of times with the Shanahan's and plenty of other father-son relationships of what they bring to the table. So I don't expect a lot to change now. I think it's going to be a little bit of, you know, what I like to call a trial and error period with him, just because he's a first-time play caller. There's going to be some growing pains with him. So I would say just have some patience with him. It is a little bit different when you are the person um, actually calling the plays as opposed to the person that's giving advice of what play to call. It's much different when you're the guy in the shoes making the final decision. And then with him being a younger guy, I'm sure there's going to be some ideas that he does bring to the table that maybe Gary did not do or was a little bit hesitant with doing. So there's going to be a little bit of a change up. But as far as the base things that they do outside zone, uh, roll out, play action, boot, all that is still going to be incorporated a lot with his offense. Okay, yeah. The reason I ask that is because I think there is a lot. Uh, well, I don't think most people think it's going to change all that much, but there is uh, a hope that because so, m- merely because he's young, <clears throat> that he'll bring in some youthful things, like you talked about, Kyle Shanahan. So, in like there could be creativity that sometimes his father, um, you know, was derided for. Um, but yeah, I agree that it'll be the same thing. And I mean, there might be some splashes of that. Uh, youth infusion but we'll have to wait to september to find out sally you're next all right so um we saw today that justin jefferson is working out with qb2 (laughs) in miami and so i'm just curious jordan what are your thoughts in general on that pick were you surprised that the vikings did uh go after a qb in the third round and just what do you think of kellen in general i'm not surprised they took one and i was actually texting a lot of people that they're probably going to take one in the second or third round. I didn't have a second round pick, but if they had one, they're probably going to take one somewhere on day two, just because every year we've seen them sign a backup quarterback like Sean Mannion or somebody like that to a one-year deal. And they didn't do that this year. I think that was a clear indicator of that. They were kind of tipping their hand a little bit that they were probably going to chase a young quarterback. And we both know Kirk gets really expensive next year with that $45 million uh, cap it, which is very, very high uh, for a quarterback of his caliber. So I'm not surprised. Um, Kellen is somebody I've gotten to know pretty frequently throughout the process. Um, you know, we text back and forth all the time as far as he asked some things, what he needs to work on throughout the process. And, you know, I had him on my podcast prior to the season. Uh, so I'm really happy to see the success that he has had. Uh, But the thing that I tell him all the time is just that he's been consistently inconsistent throughout his career. And, you know, he he started 44 games out of 47 in his career. Uh, I think Jimbo did a wonderful job with him when he came over and took over for Kevin Sumlin. But as far as the arm strength, I think he has it. It's just a matter of him just bundling up that consistency. Uh, That's why he wasn't a high round pick. And then, you know, there's some games where he looks like early, you know, first or second round pick. And then there's some games where he just looks borderline draftable. Like LSU was one game that he was just awful. And then you watch him against Florida and then Alabama of where he was really good. So it's just a matter of him bundling up that consistency. But as far as those second tier guys behind that big five, uh, like Cal Trask and Davis Mills, I think he was by far the better of those three. So I was really happy to see them select Kellen where they got him. But I will say just temper your expectations for him. I know there's some people saying, you know, if Kirk, uh, if he lights it up in preseason and Kirk gets off to a slow start, Kellen needs to go out there. It's just like, man, just relax. Just give him a chance to develop. Um, he's probably going to take a year or two to get comfortable and come into his own. So just be patient with him. I want to interrupt for just a second to talk about sunglasses. If you can believe that, yes, sunglasses. Uh, I go through a lot of those out of forgetfulness. I'll lose them or leave them places. Uh, I've got two young children at home, so they break them. They break their own, so on and so forth. 
Uh, so let's talk about Canon sunglasses. That's K-A-E-N-O-N. It's time to make your outdoor experiences better with Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make their lenses clearer, lighter, and stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. Use the exclusive code K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-15, KananCast15, at Kanan.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Kanan, clearly better. How does he react when you say like, "Hey, man, you're you're consistently inconsistent"? Is he like, "Excuse no. me," or does he get? I mean, it? he gets it. He he's he's one that's really good with taking criticism. He's very mature, and the great thing about him is that he was a four year starter at Texas A and M, but he's still only twenty one years old, and that's very rare to find, especially a player that was a four year yeah. starter and still that type of has that type of youth. So, I mean, he has a head on straight. He's coming to the league, I think, with the right mindset. So, I'm interested to see like the plan they have for him if they try to incorporate him a little bit this year. I think that'll probably tip their hand a little bit as far as what they plan to do in the future. But I mean, I don't expect them to see him much at all this year, just because we know Kirk is pretty durable and he plays pretty well for the most part. And they seem to be, um, I would say they would stick to Kirk for this year, of course, but after this year, I think it's going to get really interesting as far as what they do. So now you had alluded to, you know, your website or, you know, where you work now with the draft network and um, you know, I, I heard you on PA, you know, going back however many years that was um, and kind of when that first started to come up. And uh, so I guess obviously in being a part of that analysis, you need to watch a ton of games, probably more than than well, me as a big football fan that I would ever want to do. So, um, but to make a career out of it, I can understand the allure to that. So what is it like, or I guess, what are the areas that you focus to that you have to, as far as the attention to detail when you're watching, um, like are you watching games for specific players or are you watching it like as a game to see who kind of stands out or what is it that kind of draws you into the game film that, that you pull your analysis from? Well, so you go into a game, always looking to scout one player. And, you know, there's sometimes of where you watch games like 30 or 40 times, especially like I have, LSU and also have Alabama in my scouting region. And we all know on this call that they have 10 plus prospects every year. So there's some times of where you're watching the game multiple times just because you want to be fixated and you want to focus on that particular prospect when you're watching it. And, you know, it's different for every position as far as the characteristics and the qualities that you're looking for. And it's kind of just whatever kind of just floats your boat of whatever you're looking for or what you like in quarterbacks, like quarterbacks. I like to see decision making and accuracy. So if you struggle in those two areas, I'm probably not going to be a fan for you but if you're watching an offensive lineman there's going to be different things that you look for as far as awareness you know how fluid are they what type of um schemes that they fit best in whether it's man gap power or zone scheme so there's different things that you're looking for when you're looking at these characteristics of certain players it's just it's just a matter of what exactly you want to outline when you're going into uh, scouting a player okay and then as a follow-up to that like so all of us as our whether it's fantasy football or for those of us who can't quite do the full football like we always have like our rankings whatever it is so and for me like i've always looked at it as i can rank a position like and how i see it one to five but now integrating other positions like weighting a quarterback versus a running back and a wide receiver and stuff what kind of um i guess analysis or whatever factors go into that decision making of say not talking about trevor lawrence but now we're talking about say kellen mond versus versus you know whoever the running backs around him are how do you do that from a one to a hundred and just best player available mode. 
Yeah, so just a quick synopsis, and the best way I could put it is that whenever – so there's a, a line of 10 characteristics or a list of 10 characteristics that you do have, and it's rated on a 1 to 10 point scale, 10 obviously being the highest and 1 being the lowest. We don't always go down to 1. We usually go down to like 5. 5 is like a poor grade. So you have those 10, whatever the grade is, once you count up, those those uh, characteristics is the grade. Like my grade for Trevor Lawrence this year was like a 92 or a 93, I think. So there's different characteristics that are outlined for each position. So when you stack a big board, now it helps you put all those in order. Like um, Kyle Pitts was a 91 for me. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was a 92 based on all these different characteristics. It just helps you keep in line with all of those things. And it's the same way in scouting rooms. Everybody is assigned a final grade. So once you stack that big board, it helps you in the end. Okay. Nick, you're up. Yeah. All right. So in free agency, we've, you know, had some notable, notable signings, mainly addressing a lot of our defensive needs with, you know, Patrick Peterson, Dalvin Tomlinson, um, bringing back Mac Alexander, and just, you know, to name a few, of course, there's quite a few others that I think we were pretty excited about on Vikings Twitter. Um, and then in the draft, we used some of our earlier selections to address um, the future of our offense with like Derisaw, we talked about Kellen Mond, um, White Davis at guard. Um, so after the draft, what are the top maybe one or two positions you feel the Vikings need to go after with the remaining remainder of our like free agency work? I think wide receiver three is definitely one area that they could look to address. I know they've had some interest in D.D. Westbrook. Uh, I think he came over from Jacksonville and, you know, he has that connection with Keenan McCardell. Uh, who was a longtime receiver in the league, a very respected coach as well. And Keenan was with the Jaguars when Didi was there. So I think they have a really nice connection. I think that would be a really good signing for the Vikings. As long as it's around the vet minimum, I think that would be a great pickup just because, you know, they've been putting guys out there like Tajay Sharp and Chad <laughs> Beebe and BC Johnson. It's Every like, year. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, we need an upgrade at that third wide receiver spot just because if Thielen – or Jefferson somehow goes down. I mean, we're talking about probably one of the worst wide receiver corps mm-hmm. in the league. So they need that that number three guy. And I like Amir Smith-Marset, but I don't know if he's ready to step in right away to that third spot uh, over some other guys. So uh, I would like to see them sign another wide receiver and maybe another corner as well, depending on what happens with Gladney. And we, you know, we don't need to go into detail about that, but I think another cornerback definitely would be, uh, could help them a lot. Brian, did you have any luck so far chasing down Derisaw? Get him on the show? Not yet. I'll try this week. Okay. I was just curious. Fair enough. All right. Uh, let's see. Jordan, um, are you usually disillusioned uh, with Kirk Cousins' performance, or do you consider him a top 12 or so quarterback? Uh, the thing I always say about Kirk is that you just don't know what Kirk you're going to get that game. And I know he started off really poorly last year, but he really warmed up during the middle and then the latter portions of the season. And then the mobility factor is one area. I think he improved a lot mm-hmm. last year just because he was considered a statue by a lot of people. And he kind of took that to heart. It seems like he wanted to rush the ball <laughs> a little bit more and create inside and outside of the pocket. But um, I think you just have to understand what, what Kirk Cousins is. Um, I think Kirk is a good quarterback, but you know, if you don't have that above average or great player at the position anymore, especially somebody that is really mobile, it's really hard for you to compete in the Super Bowl. So I think the Vikings are kind of seeing that right now. And that's not to say that, you know, they're going to luck into somebody that's going to be this elite type of player at the position. I just think they feel as if Kirk leaves a little bit of meat on the bone in the sense a little bit um, when they're looking for somebody at the quarterback position. But, you know, Kirk is always going to have some flashes of 
really good play. And then there's going to be some games where you just like, man, what the hell is he doing yeah. out there? I have no idea what he's seeing. So there's going to be some inconsistent moments with him, but there's going to be some elite moments with him as well. That's my uh, my primary beef with uh, Mr. Cousins is, and Ron, you've heard me say this several times, is when a, when a great quarterback <clears throat> has a bad game, it's usually like 190 yards, touchdown, two interceptions, and maybe they win, maybe they lose. But it's like when Kirk is off, it drags everything the hell down. And it's like, yeah. why even bother watching anymore? And it only <laughs> happens about once or twice per year. Uh, but I try to figure out, is am I feeling this way? Because I watched this team so damn closely. <laughs> but uh, I swear, <clears throat> and like it happened in the Colts game uh, during the pandemic season. It happened in the Atlanta game. And it's like, uh, <clears throat> there is no bounce back once, once things get nasty in that realm. I mean, he came back in the Broncos game two years ago and that was marvelous, but it's like the, the aura just gets sour. And that's the one thing I wish he could shake, but it's neither here nor there. Uh, Ron, you're up. I'm laughing at Nick facial expression while you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, she gets it. Like, there's I think this- she's <laughs> making it at me too. Cause she saw my face. There, the, the, there's this misconception about Nick and myself that because uh, we have to debunk some of the garbage that uh, Twitter has about cousins, like this outrageously false stuff that all of a sudden, like we are just like, you know, the, we lo- love him to death and he's infallible. Uh, but no, well, I, I, Nick I think- is a lot. Le- Nick is another level than you. I mean, she oh. leaves people on dates because they, so they don't like, <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit further one time. Okay. If I was still dating, I might entertain that too. So I, I don't think you can use that as ammo against her. No, it's a red, it's I, not it's a ammo. It's a great filter to use. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like a litmus test. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Ron, what do you got for Jordan? All right. Um, so Jordan, again, like, you know, while you're, uh, thanks again for joining us, like I'll continue to pimp the draft network. Cause even if it's just going on and doing a mock draft, like I could spend hours of my day doing that. So, um, you know, you do fantastic work on there. So I know in the past you've talked on PA about, you know, your ambitions for scouting and whatnot. So I'm not trying to like get you in any hot water, put a clock to your time at the draft network, but is that still something that you are looking for like down the road to kind of be in an NFL scouting department and, you know, be with the team or is this something that you've fallen into that you're thoroughly enjoying that you want to see through? Well, you know, I've interviewed with a couple of NFL teams before, but the time just wasn't right for me. And I kind of like being on the media side just because you don't have to worry about wins and losses. And that's the good right. thing about being <laughs> on the media side. If I'm wrong, I'm hold, I'm held accountable, but I'm not fired for it, if that makes sense. So that's the good thing about being on the media side. So I'm really enjoying the media side. I like everything about it. Um, I still have connections, you know, to plenty of people as far as that are team scouts right now in Minnesota and then around the league as well. So it kind of just feels like I'm still in the league in a sense. And, you know, something that we did different this year was that, like I told you guys earlier, we actually split up into actual scouting regions this year. So it kind of feels like I still am in the NFL, but not in the sense I'm still traveling the country, you know, going to games on Saturdays. I didn't do it last year, of course, because of the pandemic. But prior to that year, you know, live scouting games is something that I've been able to do. So it's kind of like I still am. I wouldn't say still am in the league, but it feels like I am in the league, but I'm not in the league, if that makes sense. So uh, I'm enjoying the media side strictly because I don't have to worry about wins and losses, man. That, that's something that everybody brings up a lot just because it's kind of out of your control. All you can do is I kind of compare it to grocery shopping. It's like you can buy the grocery, but it's up to the coaches to be the chef as far as turning into uh, whatever it is uh, with those meals. So that's completely out of your control. But uh, I love the media side. And you can't get fired My, if someone uh, doesn't uh, live up to the, their drafts. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
my uh my wife started watching football in 2015 and she's gotten really damn good in these six years uh but she asked me that about two three years ago is like when these coaches pack up you know with their with their families wives and whatever like it's just like it's going to end termination and she's like so do they just you know accept that like hey babe we're gonna move to san francisco we'll get fired in about three years but we're gonna go there like usually the common man you know joe everyman doesn't have to worry about that it's usually oh well if i like it i'll stay for a decade or so but it's like uh to your point about the inevitability of wins and losses like if you're not right or you're not winning uh you know you're (laughs) it's gonna be short-lived so i i completely empathize with what you're talking about there yeah, you know, I've been there before. Um, like I said, we got we got let go in 2018 at my alma mater. So I think a lot of what a lot of fans don't realize is that when some when a head coach get let gets let go, there's so many families that are affected by it. It's assistant coaches, mm-hmm. you know, it's quality control people, it's uh, strength coaches, it's all these different people that are affected by it. So if you're calling for somebody to be fired, you're calling for you know 20 families to be yeah. in hell in a sense. So that's something that a lot of fans don't really realize. No, you're 100% right there, and nor do they seem to care. Uh, so actually, with along with that, like with the Sorry. kind of so ironically, you know, ESPN or one of the ESPNs had the the U part two on this week. So knowing that you were involved in that, and I don't think I'd ever seen the second one. Like I had to, you know, record it and watch it. So um, a lot of that story, like you know, as you, Jordan's alluding to, with staffs being fired. So BMAC when um, Coker came in. So now, like the story with that was that just because the players were running the show anyways, and that was the guy that. You know, we knew he might not last very long, like he might get replaced at some point. But was that just was we know what we got to do and we just want someone to come about us? Um, because they were trying to, you know, Donna Shalela who just came to the university and they were trying to bring Barry, Barry Alvarez, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> but we, it was me, Ed Reed, and a bunch of us were going into our senior year and we only lost one game the year before. We didn't want to come in and have to learn a whole new system under somebody else. So we were like, we'd rather have somebody who's already here and we can continue, you know, what we did the year before as far as like plays and things like that and just grow instead of having to start. Like it's a whole process of new coach and learning their ways and technique and all that. And we felt like for us, I guess we was kind of being selfish that we wanted to do <laughs> is keep somebody who's already there, keep the same program. And you only had to bring in like one new coach because he was going to go from office coordinator to head coach and just had to get somebody to fill that void. And everything else pretty much going to stay the same for us. And I mean, it was a group of us, like they said in there, that went to the athletic director, and I was one of them. <laughs> we all went <laughs> together as a group, and I was threatening to leave. Like, well, I'm gonna leave. <laughs> I ain't coming back. This goes through, like you know. Well, because that's one and where, like, if cost because it was gonna cost some of them. So, and when we left out of the office, we felt like he didn't, he wasn't really listening <laughs> to what we said. <laughs> so. But and he actually that? did because he ended up hiring Larry Cooker. But he was such he had such a poker face. I was like, I don't know if it and even matters. <laughs> you know, bluff didn't work. Did that keep kind of the the entire staff together so that you didn't have to worry about that turnover? Like, and only Butch Davis was leaving. You didn't have to worry about anyone else going with them. Yeah, it was able to keep everybody together, and we were already familiar with you know all the coaching, and we felt like okay, we only lost one game last season. There's no need to get rid of all these people. Like. Because, you know, of course, Barry Alvarez come from Wisconsin. He's going to bring his own people in. Yeah. And we're already familiar with who we have. So we'd rather keep them and just take our chances to see if we can get to a national championship because we were basically one game away. And really, like, in Florida State, the only time we would cheer for Florida State was that game, and they still lost to Oklahoma. So we would have split it if they would have won. 
Are you still bitter about right. the BCS selection? Like, because you guys were the better team, and, I mean, and we had already you, beat, you beat them. So. <laughs> Man, how they got the ghost still? So it just prepared so, us for this. It prepared for, prepared us for the following season to go undefeated. Systems changed since then, but it's still flawed for sure. <laughs> oh, it definitely is. Sally, you're up. Okay, so let's talk about the NFL draft a little bit in general. Um, I'm curious. I hate grading drafts like before they play out, but who um, just sticks out to you right now that had a really good draft and who weren't you very impressed with? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Sal. I hate draft <laughs> grades. You won't ever see me participate <laughs> in draft <laughs> grades either just because you don't know uh, what's going to happen. And then, you know, your grades are based off where you had those players ranked on your board. So if a bunch of if a bunch of teams like or drafted players that you liked, of course, they're going to get a high draft grade from you. So Draft grade is something you'll never see me participate in, but I think the Panthers had a really good draft. I really like what they were able to do. J.C. Horn was one of my favorite players in the draft. Uh, I was really happy to see them take him uh, with the eighth overall selection. I believe it was Terrace Marshall was another good pickup for them as well in the second round. Uh, The Washington football team was another team I thought drafted really well as well. I think getting uh, Samuel Cosme in the second round, then Jamin Davis in the first round. I think that was a home run for them. So, those were two teams I thought did really well. And then, of course, I hate to say it, but the Bears, the Bears getting Justin Fields, I think that was probably the steal of the first round. Um, we'll see how he does end up turning out up there. So it's going to really suck going against him twice a year uh, just because I think he's going to be a really good player up there in Chicago if they do what they're supposed to do. Um, as far as some teams I thought, um, as far as left me head, scratching my head a little bit, I think the Raiders, um, for them, I thought they reached on a bunch of their picks. I like Leatherwood coming out. I think 17 was a little bit too high for him, though. Um, uh, the Raiders definitely were one team that was like, man, what in the world are y'all doing? So Every uh, I think, yeah, they're they're, their board. Mayak. Yeah, their board is always different. For And, you know, there's going to be 32 different boards, but they just seem to reach on a lot of players in the first round. Nick, hit us with it. All right. So you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier with your um, scouting, Jordan. Um, But, you know, as fans, we appreciate your insight and um, your content. And with COVID, scouting for the draft was different this year than any other year. Um, And I know you you had mentioned like you weren't able to go, you know, to the games. So how did you and the rest of the scouting community adapt to um, remain so knowledgeable on these draft prospects? Well, that's a really good question. So it comes down to just who you know, uh, as far as a networking standpoint, some of the position coaches around the country, uh, some of the scouting buddies that you do have, you compare notes, who are some players that you like, who are some players that you dislike. We're watching, of course, the same game film that all these teams provide, but it was a little bit different as far as not being able to see these players in person. And everybody always asks, like, why in the world do scouts go to games in person? There's a lot of things that you can't see on the coach's film or the TV copy of games, like seeing players live. You get to see, like, what their body looks like, who are your leaders, um, who are your more introverts, who are your extroverts. Are they in tune when they're still on the sideline? These are little things that you're looking for um, when you're on when you're live scouting these different games. And then, of course, you get to talk to different people when you're on the sideline than in the press box of these games, too. They may have heard something about a player that you weren't aware of before either. So live scouting is always fun just because you get to see different people in the industry and then you get to see these players up close as well, especially when there's big games. So that's always something that is a little bit different when you're live scouting. But this year definitely was challenging just because. I mean, you really weren't able to do some of the things that you normally do in the past. And then the way it was different from this year is that 
COVID really hit, I think in like March or April, that's when it really got, um, that's when everything started shutting down. So last year, the draft process was pretty much done for the most part. The combine was already done uh, and the meat and potatoes of the process was pretty much out of the way. And then of course we had the virtual draft last year, but this year, you know, you weren't able to go to schools, you weren't able to go to practices. Um, there was a select few of people that could go to live games as well. So that was the big difference between this year and last year as far as the process. Right. So one of my favorite things on your uh, that, you that you know, your Twitter, Twitter interactions over the years has been uh, whenever any news comes up about a former tight end in the NFL, um, you know, your comment of it's going to be a busy day for me or something. So um, one, I love the sense of humor. I think it's great. And so in those inter- interactions that you have with fans who like say Jordan Reed retires and you're getting how much of that is actually just like people playing along with the bit or how many people actually are really thinking that you are the one that's retiring? It's actually kind of hard to tell now. I don't know who's joking <laughs> and then who's serious, but then I'll get like a name that's like Tim. And then it'll have like eight numbers behind it in my DMs. Like, man, you were one of my favorite players uh, for, for the Redskins. Um, I thought you were a hell of a player when you were there. So, and I still get like two to three mentions a day talking about Jordan Reed. So, I was happy to see him retire. Honestly, hopefully the jokes will calm down a little bit now. We had uh, Ron. Was it? Yeah, we had Roy Williams on yeah. uh, the Lions receiver, and I think Dallas was setting up something for a child with cancer yeah. with, with their Roy Williams. But the team reached, or somebody reached out to the the Lions. Roy Williams. No, well, it was when he was on. Oh on yeah, Dallas, and the other Roy Williams was there as well. So, oh, but yeah. what, what I remember, the dad had um, like they wanted to play video games on the jumbotron yeah. at. Dallas stadium or whatever. And, um, they couldn't arrange that. So they sent him a gift basket with everything. And then the dad reached oh, out and yeah. said, you were always my favorite, uh, my favorite safety. Um, or, you know, <laughs> I think you're the best safety ever or whatever. So, um, and then he was like, we're a little too far behind or too far down the road to correct it. So we'll just leave it at that. So. Yeah. I just rolled with it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Sally, what's your last thing for Jordan? All right, Jordan. I'm just wondering what the heck do you do um, with your time now that the draft is over? You know, your schedule is like jam packed. You have to be working like 12 hours a day at least. And then now it's kind of slow until football starts back up. So what what's life like? Yeah, so something that I always do, uh, I'll go to like the middle of May after the draft and I'll go ahead and look up about the top 25 or 30 guys for the following year. And I'll watch a couple games on them and then I'll take a month off just so I can have a good feel uh, for them going into the next year. And then I'll take some family trips, uh, spend some time with my wife and my kids. And you know, just because I don't get to spend a lot of time with them uh, in the fall and in the spring. Of course. So that's something that I like to do. Um, You know, we'll go everywhere, uh, beaches, amusement parks, all that stuff. So uh, that's something I like to do during that month off and just spend some family time. But, yeah, I mean, the draft is 365 for me. You guys know that. But I'd like to take those those 30 or 35 days off throughout the year just to spend some family time, which is what I'm doing now. So like in, uh, you know, week one, week two and throughout the season, are you even though you know you're the draft guy, are you hardcore into the football season with the draft in the background, or is it the vice versa? So we actually are responsible for a couple teams throughout okay. the year. Uh, like I have the NFC North, and then I have the AFC South as well. So okay. I, I definitely have to stay in touch with what's going on with those teams. And, you know, I'm always going to stay in touch with the Vikings just because that's my team. I'm always <laughs> going to figure out what's going on with them. So, um, you know, we do little things as far as, 
where can they improve at? What were they bad at a year ago? What are some things that they could target in the draft? So I try to keep in touch with all those teams uh, in the MC North and then the AFC South as well. Um, of course, I don't have time to keep up with every team going on around the league. That's just not possible for me. But other than that, I'm watching college tape. And, you know, okay. I try I watch like over 400 to 500 kids a year. So Man. as you can imagine, like my I'm just watching game tape all day long and taking notes and filling out scouting reports. Okay, that's incredible. All right, Nick, what's your uh, last thing for Jordan Reed? All right, well, I'm more petty than Tom Petty. So since you are a Vikings fan, um, something that's been bringing me great joy over the last like week, week and a half is the Aaron Rodgers Green Bay Packers meltdown. And I, and I think it is just delicious, but I would love to hear like some of your thoughts on it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. Aaron is a, a different cat. That's what I like to call him. He's a different dude. Um, you know, it's, he has a love-hate relationship with a lot of people. It's not just the Packers. You know, everybody likes to pick family? on him about his, his family. And he, he's just a different dude. So, um, you know, as quarterbacks, I like to group myself in that we can be prima donnas at times. And, you know, BMAC, you can attest to this. Quarterbacks are always different. More so um, wide receivers. Just like, just, just like wide receivers. Yeah, wide receivers. <laughs> just like the wide receivers. Those those two people on the roster are always different types of dudes. So there's always going to be a different type of relationship um, that they have with their teammates as well. You know, Aaron's a very successful player. And, you know, with quarterbacks, if you're not coddling to them and giving them what they want, they're going to let you know about that. And wide receivers are the same way. When you're not throwing them the football, they're going to let, let you know about it as well. So it's really interesting with Aaron. He's kind of forcing their hand a little bit just because he's such an elite player and he's been such a good player for them a long time. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they do trade him, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's the starting quarterback week one. Like, whichever way it goes, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But, I mean, we all know, like, if he's out of the division, we're probably all going to throw a party just because of how how well he's played against the Vikings and how good of a player he is. So I'm right there with you as far as I hope he is out of the division. Nick. The thing that's so uh, weird about this mini saga now going on two weeks is that at any point in time, he could get on Twitter, he could hold a press conference, he could leak something, yeah. and he could say, stop the nonsense, I'm a Packer. But he's not doing that. And that should, you know, be very telling because it just, it's run rampant, me included, that, you know, the speculation, the theories and all that. And he could, he could single-handedly just say, no, nope, I'm staying here. Or this is all overblown. Somebody made this up. PA made this up, blah, blah, blah. But he hasn't done that. And I think each day that goes by, it's just more chaos. Uh, the last thing I have, uh, Jordan, is about the, the offensive line. So from left to right with Derrissaw, Davis, uh, Bradbury, Cleveland, and O'Neal, uh, it's like the first time in memory that we have the potential to have a biological or an organic offensive line um, You know, from left to right. Do you think this finally solves it? I don't want to get my hopes up, honestly, <laughs> just because we know the offensive line has always been the Achilles heel for the yeah. Vikings uh, for a very long Not time. Not always, but for a decade. <laughs> yeah, you know, we haven't had a good offensive line since, you know, BMAC in them, them days with Steve Hutchinson and all those guys yeah. as well. So it's been a long time mm-hmm. since we've had a really good play, Matt Burke and all those guys. So it's been a long time since we've had a really For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.